We're looking at Ruth today, but we'll start out in John 6, one verse, but we're looking at Ruth and uh, picking up where we left off, working through the book of Ruth. And uh, we're in chapter 3, picking up in verse 5. We want to remind you that uh, Ruth lived 10 to 11, 1,000 to 1,100 years before Christ. Samuel wrote this book. It was one of the five books Jews read annually. This is one they'd read at the harvest time. And today we're talking about the harvest. Naomi was a type of Israel, remember, scattered, lost her inheritance, lost her land like Israel, and would come back and get her inheritance back. We know that Boaz is a type of the Lord. He was from Bethlehem, and of course, he redeemed Ruth. And Ruth, as you know, is a type of, Naomi's a type of Israel, Ruth's a type of the church, a Gentile grafted in to the family of God. And so much of Ruth is about God's direction and leadership in our lives. Think about her being over in Moab and uh, Naomi being an older lady and Ruth, a young gal, and and they're going to make this journey back to the Holy Land and they're going to have to find a way to survive. And Ruth's a virtuous woman, the text will tell us later, and would take care of her mother-in-law, work hard in the fields, love her mother-in-law and take her mother-in-law's advice. I just love that. And we left left off last time talking about how Naomi said to her, Ruth, get cleaned up, anoint yourself with perfume, and go and lay at the feet of Boaz. And those are quite interesting instructions, but as you know, the Goel Redeemer principle uh, is is, uh, clearly stated in the Bible, and that's one of the things that someone would have to do to be redeemed. I love uh, a poem by Anne Waring. Wherever he may guide me, no want shall turn me back. My shepherd is beside me, and nothing can I lack. His wisdom ever walketh, his sight is never dim. He knows the way he taketh, and I will walk with him. Isn't that great? And we see that in the life of Ruth and Naomi as Ruth follows her mother-in-law. And we picked up, as we said, in verses 5 and 6, we'll go back to Ruth momentarily. But, of course, she's taken a step of faith uh, by obeying her mother-in-law and going to lay at this man's feet. And I, I know that Faith is the evidence of things not seen. We, we live by faith, don't we? We trust God's in control. And now she has to trust her mother-in-law as she goes back to lay at the feet of Boaz. And uh, <clears throat> Boaz was from Bethlehem. But we know this night he was in the barn, probably because of thieves, and probably wanted to be near the workers because he was no doubt helping. And he's laying down. And she says to uh, Ruth, when he's done eating and drinking and relaxed and lays down, that's when you go in and lay at his feet. And uh, I I love that about Boaz. He's not from his home. He's in a barn. You know, the Lord left the splendor of heaven to live in an evil world. And what a type he is of our Lord. But uh, I, I love the stepping out by, by Ruth and trusting Naomi's leadership. And Naomi as well stepping out by faith. John Wesley said, I'd rather have one firebrand, which I had to cool down in the water, than ten firebrands that I had to heat up. And I love it when somebody's zealous for God and wants to just do the work of God. Sometimes we make mistakes when we're zealous. But we know that if we work hard, God will honor our efforts. Uh, William Carey, a shoemaker, until he was 28, preached his great famous message, expect great things from God and attempt great things from God. And he certainly did. He went to India, translated the Bible, planted churches, started a medical relief, and uh, translated the Bible in 28 languages. That's a life that counts for God. Uh, 
And so here we have these great ladies, and we know that uh, they are about to uh, step out by faith and do this. And so she tells her to sit at the feet of Jesus. Uh, I love uh, so many scriptures about sitting at the feet of Jesus. Remember Mary? I know I'm going fast. Mary sat at the feet of Jesus. Martha was cumbered because Mary wasn't helping her work. But what's Mary doing? She's sitting there at the feet of Jesus learning. You know, it's good to be busy for God. It's also good to just take time, stand still, sit still, and wait on God and listen to God. And so being under the word, and Mary did that. And there was a maniac in uh, Luke 17, I believe it was, who we find in a right mind, his right mind sitting at the feet of Jesus. Jairus, when he wanted a miracle in his family, fell at the feet of Jesus. Many, the Bible says, were cast at his feet. Uh, the woman with a demon-possessed daughter fell at his feet. Um, we, we find uh, Jairus, we find many were anointed. Uh, Mary, excuse, Mary anointed him and, and wiped the, her, her, his feet with her hair. And the Bible says in Ephesians, he hath put all things under his feet. We need to sit at the feet of Jesus. And here we find Mary, and she's going to just, uh, not Mary, excuse me, uh, Mary, uh, not Naomi, but Ruth. And Ruth is going to lay down at the feet of Boaz. So we had Naomi's instruction and Ruth's inclination. And we know that uh, we'll pick up in a moment and look at verse 9 of Ruth chapter 3. But first of all, stand and read John chapter 6. John chapter 6. I love this verse. And this is so applicable today because Boaz is a type of Christ. She presents herself to him, Ruth does. And what does he do? He takes her in. Chapter 6, verse 37. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. All the Father hath given to me, verse 37, John 6, shall come to me. And then he says, Jesus is speaking, And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. And we know Boaz didn't cast Ruth out. He took her in. God bless us as we take a look in your book for a walk in the world. As we are here to glean handfuls on purpose, Lord, you've given us so much material purposely in your word. And while Ruth's gleaning handfuls on purpose to feed her mother-in-law, you give us the scriptures, handfuls on purpose. And Lord, help us to appreciate that today. Bless us, Lord. Hide me behind the cross. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. So back in Ruth chapter 3 and verse 9, we find here uh, verse 9, and he, uh, she goes to lay down at Boaz's feet, and he's surprised, he's startled. And the Bible says, he said, Who art thou? And she answered, I am Ruth, thine handmaid. Spread therefore thy skirt over thine handmaid, for thou art a near kinsman. Now, this is a very odd thing to me, but I don't understand Jewish culture like they did. But this is what the Bible taught, the kinsman redeemer principle. And here she is uh, laying down at his feet. Now, she didn't get into bed with him. There's nothing immoral here. In fact, the word here in verse 9, which is translated skirt, look over to Isaiah chapter 30 in verse 20. And I'll just have you look at a couple verses today. I'd like you to do this at least one time while I'm preaching so you understand the purpose of doing this. Isaiah chapter 30 and verse 20, it says here, and, through the Lord, and, the Lord, excuse me, and though the Lord give you the bread of adversity and the wafer of affliction, yet shall not thy teachers be removed into a corner. The word corner there, it's the same Hebrew word translated skirt. So she didn't get all the way into the blankets with him. 
She got under a quarter, a quarter according to uh, uh, one, one passage of Deuteronomy 22.12. was a quarter. Here it's a corner. It's also translated wing. So she just got under a little bit of the blankets at his feet. And she just waited there till he would notice her. And of course he wakes up. He doesn't know what's going on. And he says to her, you're blessed. And again, he's such a good example of the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in verse 10, Blessed be thou of the Lord, my daughter, for thou hast showed more kindness in the latter end than at the beginning. He says, you've been such a good person. The word kindness is that great word, chesed. I've told you that before. We're not going to go into that. But we know that's the love that Gomer had, uh, Hosea had for Gomer. That's the love the Lord had for the wicked Assyrians. And here he says, you're, you're that person to, to Naomi. You're a person of kindness. And you're going to be blessed because you're just better and better to Naomi all the time. Naomi could stay home or brought her daughter-in-law go gather the food to feed her mother-in-law. He noticed her, and I liked it. Did you know God notices when you do the right thing? God's proud of us when we do the right thing? A lot of times people think, well, I'm really getting weary of doing this for the Lord. Well, he's watching, and he's a God who rewards people. And when we get to heaven, if we've served in, in humility and integrity and honesty, we'll be rewarded. And so we serve not because of the applause of man. People may pat me on the back and say, good sermon. And I think, well, I hope I don't lose my reward in heaven and get proud because the Bible says, you know, you can have your reward here or there. And Luke, and we understand that. Some people are looking, looking for rewards and, and applause of people. I've actually been a pastor long enough to have experienced someone come to me and say, you know, I've been doing this. I've been doing this, and nobody said anything about what I've been doing. And, of course, as a gracious person, I want to say, well, God bless you, I'm sorry, but we have noticed, and say something nice. But in my heart, I think, is the motive correct there? You know, if, if I'm preaching so that Harold will come up and say that was a great message, my motive for preaching is wrong. If I'm a preacher for money, my motive is wrong. I have to preach because I love the Lord and realize he is aware of what's going on. And, and so here, uh, he brags on her. He had noticed her. He had noticed that she followed Naomi all the way from Moab. And now she's gleaning the fields as a, a poor person would and picking up little bits. And each even told, remember, his workers, leave some pur- purposeful for her. Leave some on the ground that she can gather. Leave it on purpose. And then verse 11 the last line, he goes on and brags on her, says, The people of the city, you know, they know you're a virtuous woman. Everyone knows about you and you're virtuous. Proverbs 31 gets, gives a great description of the virtuous woman. And it just talks about how hardworking she was. And a lot of people misunderstand that Hebrew word, translated virtue. You want to just think that means she's a virgin and morally pure. While that would include that, actually the word leans more towards a hard work ethic. And when you read Proverbs 31, you see that, right? She clothes her kids. She feeds her husband. She goes to the market and makes money by selling things. And she was a hardworking woman. And I'm always impressed by a woman who works hard to maintain a home. That's impressive to me because that's virtue. And so he calls her virtuous. In chapter 4, verse 11, the very last line in your Bible, Ruth 4, 11, it says here, Thou worthily in Euphrata, 
and be famous in Bethlehem. The word worthily, same Hebrew word as virtuous. She's virtuous. She's worthy. And uh, I love that. And so Boaz now, uh, you know, he's, he's taken notice of her. And he, he meets the requirements we studied. Remember, he's kin. And remember, he's able. And remember that he's willing. I love 2 Peter 3, 9. God is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. I love that. God's willing to save, and he's able to save. And I love it, the fact that I'm kin to God. I'm an heir of the promises of God. I'm a child of God. I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. I can't sing, but you know the chorus. Aren't you thankful you're part of the family of God? And so here's Boaz now, and, and the Bible says in verse 12, he says, Behold, now it is true that I am thy near kinsman, howbeit there is a nearer kin than I. So he had to make sure he could redeem her by going and check with the city leaders at the city gate to make sure that he would be able to do that because there was someone who was near kin. The name Boaz means tower or pillar. I like the Bible says in Proverbs, the name of the Lord is a strong tower. Again, a type of Christ here. He has to go check because there is a closer kin. So he says here, tarry this night, and it shall be in the morning that if I will perform the part of the kinsman well, let him do to the king's part. But if he will not do the part of the kinsman to thee, then I will do it. He said, I'm going to give him a chance. I'm reading too fast. I'm going to give him a chance to redeem you. And if he doesn't do it, then I'll redeem you. He's an honorable man. He, he knew the law. He knew there was a closer kin. And yet, actually, Ruth could have tried to demand, actually, Naomi, to demand of her kin to take care of Ruth. But she didn't do that. God had guided. And Naomi had a, a vision. She had been, no doubt, led by God to try and pursue Boaz for Ruth. We know that. How do we know that? Because we'll look next week or the week after when we wrap up Ruth that she's in the lineage of Jesus Christ. Along with Rahab and a whole bunch of other people that you wouldn't, be, wouldn't think would be there. And so he has to go to, go to the city. And, and I love verse 14 because he's concerned about her reputation. He says, get up early before it's totally light. Don't wait till it's really light. And don't go when it's really dark. And I'm paraphrasing. And get home because we don't want anybody to think amiss of you. Do you know what the Bible says? Avoid all appearance of evil. It's a New Testament verse. I know a lot of people that are not careful in their walk. And sometimes you see somebody doing something and you think, is that really wise to do? Remember that your testimony in the presence of others is very important. And anything that's questionable, the Bible tells you to avoid it and not do it. And so many times, and you're thinking, well, who are you talking about? No specific person. But avoid anything that even looks evil. And that's what Boaz does. Leave so no one thinks anything is wrong. Out on visitation, I knock on doors, and Thursday I went to a house. I don't go inside unless I have a partner with me. What would it look like if a neighbor said, well, I saw your preacher go in this lady's house, and they were alone in there together. I, I don't think I would ever do anything wrong, but take heed lest I fall and avoid the appearance of evil. And that way I'm safe, you know. That way I'm safe. And we all need to be careful because our testimony is always being viewed by others. So he tells her to go home. He sends her away when it's just starting to get light. 
and not quite light enough for people to see. And, and, and he's, he cares about her reputation, and I love that. You get down here to verse 16 and 17, and this is great stuff. Here it says, And when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, Who art thou, my daughter? And she told her all that the man had done to her. And she said, These six measures of barley gave he me, for he said to me, Go not empty into the mother's house. Now prior, remember, he'd given her some barley. She wrapped it up in her skirt and brought it home. Now he gave her so much she had to carry it on her head. Probably a big pot to go along with it. And so Naomi says, Give me an update. What's going on? And what does Ruth do? She brags on her Redeemer. She brags on him. Do you brag on Jesus? Huh? Or do you get mad at him? I've been mad at Jesus. I've been mad at my Lord. He's never done anything wrong. The problem is with me. But we're supposed to praise him. We're supposed to talk about the Lord. It's amazing people will talk about a lot of things that are important to them. And sometimes even Christians, we're guilty of this. We'll talk about our cars, and we'll talk about our homes, we'll talk about our jobs, we'll talk about everything but Jesus. And you should brag on Jesus more than anything else. Second, brag on your spouse, and third, your children. And we have a tendency to put the grandchildren way up on the pedestal. I told someone I have nine great-grandchildren. They said, you're not that old. No, no, but they're great. They're not perfect, but I brag on him, but I have to brag on Jesus. He's the one who gave his life for me. And so she's bragging on her Redeemer and saying, what a great guy he is. He's a wonderful person. And in verse 18, this last verse of this chapter is where we're going to quit, but as the old country preacher said, park there a while. We'll be here a few minutes. But it says, then said she, here Naomi's speaking to her, sit still, my daughter, until I know, until I know how the matter will fall, he said. God's going to let you know. Just be still. I love that. Sit still. Sit still. I, I love. He tells her, just sit still and see how it's going to turn out. Job thirty-seven fourteen. It says there, stand still and, and just consider the wondrous works of God. Do you, do you ever do that? That's what Job 37, 14. You ever just sit still? I um, am prepared to answer college students' questions on, on uh, different things about the existence of life and all that. And I've just been waiting. And I thought, well, what am I going to say to validate that God is real? And of course, there's a lot I can say. I can say, well, I know he's real because he lives in my heart. And that's reality to me. But I can talk about the design in creation, can't I? The human body and creation so much more complex than this building. And no fool would believe this building fell together by accident. So I, I think, what am I going to say? And I'm thinking about Bible verses. And I could talk about scripture, how Isaiah knew the world was round thousands of years ago. Job knew the moon was not a light, just a reflector thousands of years ago. David knew the female spider spun the web before there was such a thing as a microscope. And I could get into all that kind of stuff. Because I know God's real and I have a lot to say. But I was sitting on my porch yesterday and singing, singing, and, and believe me, nobody would be around to listen. It kind of drives creatures away. And I was singing to the Lord, you know. And uh, I, it wasn't joyful according to Psalm 100, but I'm sure God appreciates it because he knows my heart. But, and I was having this time of just being there with God. And the birds, you know, come and build a nest in my 
front bush right there, three feet above the ground, and my dog's trying to get at the birds. And I see all these beautiful things in creation. What a, what a beautiful day it was. And I was just sitting there thanking God. How it make, he makes it so obvious he exists to me. I mean, that's why I don't get it. And the grace of God hath appeared to all men. And how could anyone say they don't believe in God because they were born with a conscience and when they were young, they understood there was someone who had created the world. And they understood there was a God until they made foolish choices according to Romans chapter 1. But we must do like Job and stand still and consider the works of God. And then I love, he, said, he told Ruth, be, sit still. He tells Job, stand still. Then he tells Moses, stand still and know that I am God. Stand still, Moses. Chill out, relax. You're going to know I'm God. Think of that. Moses knew he was God. I mean, he had done a lot of things prior with the plagues and things. He knew, he knew God was real. So why is God saying just stand still, stand still, and, 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 and excuse me, see the salvation of, of the Lord? He's about to part the waters. Can you imagine that? Moses is revered by Jews, but Jews should revere God. Because God parted the waters, not Moses. Moses is just there to watch. Just lift up your arms. You just go, just watch. Just stand still. I'll save them. Just watch how I save your people. That's amazing. Do you ever just stand still and watch God work a problem out? Too many times we want to manipulate situations. We see a problem on the horizon. We get involved. And then we find out, oh, brother, we were really off. I love Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all thine heart and lean not unto thine own understanding. In all thy ways acknowledge him and he'll direct your path. So direction comes from trusting him. And, and we don't even understand sometimes why we do what we do and go where we go. We, we feel like we're following God and, and, and it, it, we may fall, fall into a terrible situation and we have to just say, well, God, I followed you. I trust you. You'll get me out of this situation. Years ago, my dad called. He was in a phone booth. I don't know. You, some of you don't even know what a phone booth is. Uh, but it's a, a little glass cage with a phone. And, and my dad had called home. And it was when I was a little bit bigger. And Bob and Randy were bigger. And he said, hey, guys, there's some guys here that are trying to rob me. And I'm in the phone booth. And I've got my feet just holding the door shut. But he called. Called us. You know, and, and I remember we just... My two brothers said, you're staying home, Danny. And I got mad about it. But they took off to go see if they could help dad. But dad called later and said he was fine. They left him alone. But he was trapped in there. And, and you wonder, why do things like that happen? You know, think of all the things that just happened recently. Why, why do bombs drop on babies in Ukraine and the whole world? We don't want to get involved. We'll get them money. We'll give them weapons. We'll just let it. We can't get involved. We're afraid Russia might nuke us. Hey, I'm, it's a good thing I'm not president. I wouldn't send troops in, but I'll tell you, our, our airplanes and jets and fighters would be busy controlling the skies and bombing their ships and bombing their... I, I, but, but I'm not saying that my way is the right way, but I'm saying this. So many things happen in the world, and we just wonder why. Why does this happen? Is God involved here? 
And that's what the world says. There, there must not be a God because of all these tragic things. And as believers, we know there's a God and all things work together for good. It doesn't say all things are good. God's in control. We have to trust him. I don't understand. Trust him. What's going on in my life, Pastor? I, I don't know what's going on in my life. What's going on? Trust him. I don't know. I can't tell you why. Sometimes he lets us know. Sometimes he doesn't. But he says to Moses, stand still and see the salvation of the Lord. Of the Lord. And I love Psalm 46. The psalmist said, be still and know that I am God. The best thing that you can do when you're in trials and difficulty, just find a place to be alone. Go outside and sit in the woods. Recognize God's creation and realize who he is. And just listen to him speak to you. You know, when I pray, oftentimes I pray, and I don't just pray now I lay me down to sleep. I actually talk to the Lord. But a lot of times I get done with my prayer and I'm busy and I go do my next thing. Then I get convicted. I need to stay there sometimes and listen. Let the Holy Spirit give me ideas on what to do or how to handle something or just give me a peace. But I'll tell you, the great thing in prayer is that you get that peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. He gives you peace. And you're in a terrible situation, but you can say, well, I have peace that it's going to be okay. And we can encourage one another because God's in control. And I say that to you enough because in the world and the way it's going now, you need to hear it over and over again. God's in control. Even though Nebuchadnezzar may be ruling or may not be ruling, God knows what's going on and there's a reason for it. And I want to close with this lyric, a song by John Lennon. I listened to the Beatles when I was a young guy, as well as many of you. They seemed mild and they seemed like they had uh, easy listening to music and there was nothing provocative. I mean, I want to hold your hand. Nowadays, some of the songs say a whole lot more than that. And my, my dad didn't like the Beatles because he said they're just worldly. And, uh, I, and I agree today that there's some real worldly problems with them. But this song certainly is a problem. The lady who played Superwoman or Wonder Woman, and she's not Wonder Woman, got a bunch of Hollywood people together, said it's really discouraging now during the epidemic, COVID and all that. So let's sing this to encourage people. And here are the lyrics of Lennon's song. Imagine there's no heaven. It's easy if you try. No hell below us, above us only sky. How would that be encouraging to people during a pandemic? Just imagine there's no heaven. There's no God. There's no hell. And, and he goes on to, and Lennon goes on to say, you know, that imagine all the people living in peace. And he says also, nothing to kill for, nothing to fight, and no religion too. And one of his lines is, I hope somebody, I hope someday you'll join us and the world will be as one, a brotherhood of man. Now, there's at least a thousand things wrong with that. Because our hope is in Jesus Christ. My hope is heaven. And I'm thankful I'm not going to hell. And certainly I can understand a man like Lennon writing these lyrics and certainly he does hope there's no God. Because here's the thing, folks, if there's no God, the world won't have to bow to him. But do you know what? Every knee will bow. Every knee will bow, including John Lennon one day. Here is, is, here is little Ruth, 
little Moabite girl, and she's at the feet of Boaz, a type of Jesus. One day, everyone will be at the feet of Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a Christian, you'll one day bow before the Lord, whether you like it or not. I suggest you bow now rather than later. Because the great white throne judgment is where you'll bow and you'll be judged. And you'll be there begging him, but it's too late. Bow now. I'm a poet and I didn't know it, but bow now. Now is the time to realize who he is and what he's done and accept him as your savior. To to repent of your sins and say, Lord, save me. Get on your knees and trust in him. Have faith in God. As you look around the world and as you look around the world, we just scratch your head and say, this is not the same country as when I was a boy. When I was a boy, I mean, if we went to the Detroit Tigers game and when they did the anthem, everyone there was respecting the anthem. No one would dare burn the flag or not pay attention. And my dad would have whacked me good if I weren't honoring the flag. He wanted to play pro baseball and he was in the Chicago White Sox uh, American Legion Club and his buddy got drafted, uh, got, excuse me, got called up by the White Sox and my dad got drafted into the war. He didn't fight. But he always felt like he got shortchanged because he didn't get to play pro ball. His buddy did. My dad got drafted. And then he met my mom and they had seven kids. One of them's a really excellent person. <laughs> Must be one of the other six. But, you know, and, and dad always felt like, man, I got robbed out of baseball. In fact, he was such a good ball player when he was in the 60s. He came to Panama Canal. And I coached a softball team there, and we were a player short. We had an open roster. We could have a relative play. So I said, Dad, can you play? Yeah, I'll play. He's 60 years old. He comes out and plays first base. Didn't make an error. scooping up balls. Hit two, two off the fence, two doubles, and he's 60. I mean, I know the guy could play. But he always felt shortchanged. My mom always said, no, Bob. You wouldn't have all these kids. And he'd say, exactly, that's the point. But he realized late in life that the seven of us were a blessing. I have four sisters that are godly sisters and they all have godly brother-in-laws. I couldn't have better brother-in-laws. One's a missionary to Russia. And all of them are just great godly men. They all are involved in their churches and I'm so thankful. And my dad, you know, that's the way he was. They weren't allowed to date someone unless they were going to church. (laughs) And my dad wanted to know all about them. And my dad realized late in life that when bad things seemed to happen, God is good. He never made a lot of money. He says, why is it my two brother-in-laws are millionaires? Or his two brothers were millionaires. He had a brother-in-law that's a millionaire. And everybody successfully said, but me. We didn't have a lot. And my mother, I love her. We'd read the daily bread every night at the dinner table. And she'd say, now, honey, Bob. His name's Bob. I guess you figured that out. And she'd say, but look at all the blessings we have. And it just didn't register with my dad. All he thought of was kids driving to practices, disciplining them, getting on them for the grades, battling them out of trouble, and all that stuff. But late in life, boy, he realized it. And he was so proud of the family that God gave him. You know, we, 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 are, we are so... Uh, we're so much like the world. Just like Lenin said here... Um, Imagine all the people living for today. Do you know that's what most of the world is doing? They're living for today. 
And old Lennon, I'm sure he's not happy now because he now realizes there is a God. And unless he trusted Christ, he's separated for eternity. God is real. God is good. He's my friend. He's here today. He dwells in my heart. He dwells in your heart if you're saved. And he wants you to know that you can trust in him. Trust in him. Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for life's lessons, Lord. Sometimes they're not good and they're not fun, but they work together for good. And thank you for the opportunity to to, to be a pilgrim here and to, to witness for Christ and to live for God, live for you. Lord, if there's anyone here who's not a Christian, I pray they come. Trust Jesus Christ. If anyone needs to come for any other reason, our altars are always open for any reason. Bless now in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. Thank you.